wow. Wasn't that awesome? When I said, wow, I thought about Larry Lamb. He would say, I can say that backwards. Wow. <laughs> it was silly then. It's silly now. <laughs> but what, what a powerful, powerful move of the Holy Spirit. And um, I'm, I'm just really humbled by the focus of what's been going on this morning. Um, and you'll see a little bit more. I was just shaking my head as I said, Lord, I, I know that I have listened to you this week because there's been such confirmation. One of the things that we did not put on the calendar, we want to make clear to you that we've, we wanted to put a membership orientation sometime in January. It looks like the last Sunday in January is going to be the, the next opportunity for us to do a membership orientation. It's a luncheon. We have a packet if you uh, are interested in membership. Um, we want you to join us for lunch that day, and uh, we'll go through the church history, uh, how the church is structured, and, and the mission of the church, and try to answer as many questions as you have about the church. We, we want you to know exactly what's going on, and uh, we're, we want you to fit in somewhere, as Brad was talking about, small groups, um, I just thank the Lord, my, uh, my nephew that lives in New York uh, called me uh, a week ago during the apologetics meeting and, and said, um, hey, I found, I found me a church, and uh, it's in Brooklyn, and he was just going on and on about it. He hardly ever calls me about anything, and he says, and I'm also going to lead a small group. I was like, wow, that's neat. So he's jumping right in, and, and I'm so excited for him. Um, great young man, uh, newly married, and uh, it's just exciting to hear him get excited about a church that he has found. And he says, you know, a lot of these churches in New York has got fancy uh, furnishings and everything, and he says, this is just a plain church, but it, the place was packed with people seeking God. Boy, I tell you what, that helps me when I hear New York has churches like that, don't you? That there's, there's always light shining. No matter what we think about certain regions of the country, God has a people that are seeking his face. Um, last Sunday, we started off with redeeming the time, and Wednesday night, I shared a message on the inspiration of God's word. And today, I've titled this, The Eternities, um, Heaven and Hell. That's my focus today. And that I'll let you know after hearing the Holy Spirit speak that he is serious about this subject. Um, you know, it boils down to two destinations that every single person that's ever lived, that is living and will live, is going to spend eternity there. Only two. There's no in-betweens, no matter what kind of weird church doctrines have. It's going to be heaven or hell. And you know what? People who don't even believe, and there's a lot of people who don't believe in God. They're, they say they're atheists. My son says, why are atheists so mad about God not existing? I said, I don't know. But <laughs> it boils down to some people who don't even believe in heaven and hell. There's some people that think so highly of hell that they will tell people they dislike to go there, if you know what I mean. I don't tell people, to, I tell them to go to heaven, 
That's what they need to do. But it's just interesting that people use that word without realizing, hey, that's a real place. And people who are outside of the grace of God are going to spend eternity there. And these eternities are expressed in the word of God. We're going to go to Matthew 18 here in just a moment if you want to find that. Um, it's not the same conclusion that we hear at the end of fairy tales and they live happily ever after. It's one place or another. And what really matters, what really matters for every person in this room and every person that we will encounter, what really matters is where they will go when they draw their last breath, when their heartbeat beats for the last time and their spirit exits their body. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter what you accomplished. It does matter that you fulfill the purpose of God, but at the end of the way, it matters where you're going to spend eternity. It matters where your family members are going to spend eternity, where your friends, where your coworkers, where every person that you have some kind of interaction with or will have interaction with, it matters where they're going to spend eternity. Some of you um, probably were watching Monday Night Football when the defensive back for the Buffalo Bills, DeMar Hamlin, um, suffered an injury but also went into cardiac arrest. I wasn't watching it, but there was an alert on my phone that um, Booger McFarlane, I follow him on Twitter, he tweeted prayers for Hamblin. And I looked at Brendan and I says, I wonder if something's happened to Denny, Denny Hamblin. That's the only Hamblin I knew. And so I started researching. I says, I don't see anything that's happened. And somewhere along the line, something came up alert that Monday Night Football. So when we turned it over, and obviously when we saw the scene, people crying, they showed it on replay, and they were praying. The whole team got on their knees and were seeking God. And I was, I was talking, telling Brenda, I said, I hope this young man survives, but I hope even more that he knows Jesus, that it looks like he's not going to make it. And you could tell by the expression on the faces of those people who are close to him how, how fearful they were that the news was not going to be good for him. And six days, today is the sixth day, and the guy is off a ventilator talking, and it sounds like he really knows the Lord. If he didn't beforehand, he should know him now because there's nothing short of it saying it is a miracle. It is a divine miracle of God. So you see how quick our focus can go to the most important things in life. And as we have a casual day after day, it's easy for that focus to just get into the mundane. Stuff that we get upset about that really doesn't matter. Really doesn't matter. That people will not go when the light turns green doesn't matter. And you just might encourage them with a little bit of a horn honk. Come on, let's go. Let's get out of here. But they see how things, people, we get so stirred up about things that have absolutely zero value for the days ahead. But not this subject. Not this subject. Not the eternities. And Jesus expressed something in Matthew 18. 
when he talked about be careful about things that offend you, well, or cause you to stumble. This is Matthew 18, verse 8. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the fire of hell. It is better to suffer some kind of loss here than face the reality of an eternal hell. And the word that's translated here is not Hades. The word is translated Gehenna, which is only used just a small number of times. And it referred to the valley of Hinnon where they would burn the refuge and and the bodies of dead animals. and, And it became part of the focus that hell is just not a distant place away from God, that there's eternal fire there. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce, and I don't pride myself in understanding C.S. Lewis, but as many times as I listened to it and read it, I should not understand it a little bit. But it wasn't so much response. He, he starts that book off with referring to Blake's The uh, Marriage of Heaven and Hell. The guy's name was William Blake. Then in the 1700s, and here, you know, C.S. Lewis is writing in the 1940s. But this is something he refers back, and and his great divorce is the distinct separation of heaven and hell. And it starts off with a bus line forming up, and people are getting on the bus, and it's a bus that's going to heaven, but everybody on the bus are ghosts, are spirits. And And it lays out what kind of things hell is going to look like and what kind of things heaven is going to look like. It is... It is not for doctrinal instruction, but he focuses on this issue that is most important, that everybody's going to end up at one destination or the other. And sometimes it seems like the lines between these things get a little blurred and we need to be pulled back into that reality that we're looking at an eternity for everybody, either heaven or hell. I want to take you to James chapter 1. James reminds believers, and he's writing to believers here, by the way. You know what? The Bible ought to encourage you that if this first century church can have so many problems, we, we, ought, to, we ought to thank the Lord <laughs> that after all these years, we, we understand why we have problems. But this is in the first chapter of James. James writes, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, that God is testing me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, or n- nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted. Watch this. This is how the transition goes. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. If you're used to the King James, by their own lust, by their own desire. And enticed. Then after that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And it's not talking about physical death. It's talking about spiritual death. The end result of sin is destruction. And this is why 
when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and he told Nicodemus that God so loved the world, the world that James is describing, the world that is bound for destruction in eternity without God, that God so loved the fallen world, the sinful world, that he gave his only son so that they could have salvation, so that we could have salvation. That he loved this broken world so much that his intent in sending Christ was going to undo the disaster in the Garden of Eden that set man up for failure, that we are of a fallen people. The cross was a horrific sight. When it says God so loved the world that he gave his son, the giving of his son was on the cross. The surrender of his son to take our place. Jesus was basically tortured in such a way so that he could live as many hours as he could live in pain. It was designed to make people fearful of not stepping too far out of line under Roman law or you would face the same fate. So why did it have to be so terrible? Why did the crucifixion be that awful? What a horrific sight that had to be. It shows two things. It shows how great passion God has for our broken world, that he would send his son to that to that exact experience. But something else is revealed when you look at the cross. The devastation of sin and how powerful sin is that it required that to satisfy the justice of God. That it required that kind of sacrifice to atone for the holiness of God in the face of sin. The cross, heaven's ultimate light prohibited anybody unclean from approaching God. But God made a way for us to approach him. He made a way for us to come into that light. And the follow-up to verse 16 goes like this. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. Some translations condemn to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. But listen to verse 18. He who believes in him is not judged. Praise the Lord. That, you could have said praise the Lord there. He who believes in him is not under that kind of condemnation. But he that does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There's a sentence right now upon every lost person not going to be on them, that it's on them right now. And he says, this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Light and darkness are complete opposites. They represent heaven, Light represents heaven and darkness represents hell, the two eternities. And all will spend eternity in one or the other. There's no in-between. The great awakening that took place in the 1700s, way before the Revolutionary War, there was a revival that was unleashed in the colonies. 
And one of the main people that was part of the, the explosion of a move of God was a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. He preached a sermon that's pretty famous. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. An angry God in regard to sin. In regard to sin, what sin was doing to people. And he pleaded with people in that message to run from the judgment of God. Run to God. Surrender yourself. Passionately calling people. And people came under such conviction they fell to the ground and started giving their lives to the Lord. And the thing was like an explosion. It just started going from that place where he preached that message. And thousands of people came to the Lord. He preached from the reality of Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. It's interesting. There's a word for iniquity, transgressions, for sin. Iniquity is lawlessness, wanting our own way. He laid on Jesus that. John Edward, Jonathan Edwards pastored a church. I think it was his father-in-law that pastored him. His father-in-law passed away, and he was, on, he was there helping his father-in-law, and they just made him the pastor. He was a young guy. And he had that great revival the end story to Jonathan Edwards was uh, there's different things that they said about what caused the congregation to turn against him. One of them was he thought that the parents weren't disciplining their children enough. Well, you know when you get sideways with parents, it can be a problem. And so the church had a vote, and 90% of the church voted Jonathan Edwards out. The man at the forefront of a great awakening and just got sideways with some people and only 10% of the people wanted to retain him. Well, he didn't, he didn't lack too much. He became president of Princeton University. But he didn't live long after that. He got a smallpox vaccination and within days it, it, he had a reaction to it and he died in his 50s. And yet he's regarded as one of the most fiery preachers in colonial America. How can we stand before a holy and righteous God? We stand, we stand with the veil of Jesus' blood over us. His life, our sin. He shed his blood so that we could be saved. We, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, heaven is for real. There's no doubt that hell is for real, for real but heaven is for real. Amen. A Nebraska kid by the name of Colton Burbo, Burpo, the movie Heaven is for Real is made from his experience. Not quite four years of age, had appendicitis. They said he had the stomach flu and sent him home. Didn't diagnose it, appendicitis. But it burst and he was in serious, serious danger of dying by the time they did know what happened to him. In the hospital, and he had this 
visit in heaven, caught between life and death, talked to his grandfather, talked to his sister that he didn't know he had, and his mom had never told him that they had lost a baby before him, and it's just a great movie. If you've never seen the movie, you ought to get it and see it. Amazing story. It was one of those things that just kind of reassures people that it is a real place with real people and Jesus is there and Jesus toured him around. What an experience that kid had. Something close to that happened to a doctor's son here in Tuscaloosa, Dr. Craig Bettner. I remember, I think it was Father's Day, if I'm not mistaken, that somebody walked up to me and said, there's a, I think his name is Kennedy. Am I right on that? Fell into the pool and uh, didn't look good. And we had prayer in this, this thing. We prayed and there was prayer all over this city for that kid. Was underwater for a long period of time. Did not look like there was any way for him to make it. And yet when he came to, guess what he was talking about? Talking to Jesus. Different people he talked to. Heaven is for real. But what about the other side? Let me share a few things with you about the other side. Voltaire was a French philosopher in the 1700s. He died in 1778, but he made this statement that a hundred years after my death, the Bible will be a museum piece. It won't matter to anybody. But in 1778, as he was nearing the end of his life, he said this on his deathbed, I am abandoned by God and man. And his doctor, Dr. Fochin, he said, I will give you half of what I am worth if you can give me six months of life. The doctor said, it's impossible for us to do that. Voltaire's reply was, then I will die and go to hell. His nurse said, for all the money in Europe, I wouldn't want to see another unbeliever die. All night long, that man cried for forgiveness. Thomas Paine, a leading atheist writer in American colonies, died in 1809. In his death approached, he said, stay with me. For God's sake, I cannot bear to be alone. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, God, what have I done to suffer so much? What will become of me hereafter? I would give worlds if I had them that the age of reason had never been published. Oh, Lord, help me. Christ, help me. Christ, help me. No, don't leave. Stay with me. Send even a child to stay with me. I am on the edge of hell here alone. If ever the devil had an agent, I have been that one. And the famed atheist philosopher David Hume, who died in 1776, I think in Scotland, he said as he cried out on his deathbed, I am in flames. It was said his desperation was a horrible scene. You know, I am more pressed about people in my family that are lost. Praying for them to come to grace, come to a saving faith in Christ. Let me 
let me press you a little bit about people in your family. They're not Christian because they at some point might have been. But if there's not much evidence, you ought to be more concerned about making sure they hear the call of God to surrender their lives to him, to Christ, before you wonder if they breathe their last breath, if they really did enter into heaven. There ought to be something inside of us that will push us past our fear of anything hostile happening to us to press the point that there's only one way to salvation, that is Jesus. Paul declared that his heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel to be saved. He prayed for his fellow Jewish people to be saved. I don't think that he was praying because that was just something he should do. I believe he thought praying for them was really going to affect some of them. And I believe every burden for the loss starts with communion with Christ and we feel the heart of Christ. We feel his compassion, his passion for those who are lost. Discovering his heart, discovering his purpose with, within the world that we live in. Are your neighbors saved? Are your friends saved? Are the people you work with saved? And yet here is this warning that we heard from the Holy Spirit that this could happen anytime, anytime. And what are we doing with now? The Bible says Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and he did it. When he died on the cross and was raised from the dead, he did it. He finished it. And now he gives that mission of what he did to us to declare salvation to the ends of the earth. Let me go back to that Monday night football thing. When Booger McFarlane, former LSU player, you know there was a guy named Dan Orlovsky that was on an NFL set and he just didn't talk about praying he started praying and I'm telling you I've never heard that many people involved in football talk about praying it was like okay we're probably offending atheists out there but so what it is imperative that we seek the face of God in times like this and to see entire sets of all of these experts. In fact, Brendan and I was sitting. Rex Ryan was trying to say something. He broke down in tears. Rex Ryan started crying. That, we ought to write that down in some book or something. The brokenness of all of that. And it just was impacting people that here was a young man looked like he was not going to live. And I know that was part of the human nature of us not wanting that young 24-year-old man to die, but even more so that God would have a platform for days 
to touch people's lives and reveal to them that he loves them and he cares for them. And if there's ever been a good time to talk to someone about the Lord, it ought to be right now. My prayer was, when I started praying for him, I was praying that he would survive. It didn't look good. And I says, oh, Lord, if he's not, if he doesn't know you, give him a chance. Speak to him. Speak to his mind. Speak to his spirit. In, in a subconscious state, unconscious state, let him hear your voice. Let him know that you care about him, that he does not leave this world without you, Lord. Reveal yourself to him. I heard a statement. I don't want to give this to you. Eternity is too long to be wrong. Wrong about anybody in your family. Wrong about anywhere. Wrong about you. Eternity is too long to take a chance. We need to surrender ourselves to the purpose of God. There's people that's on different angles of this. There's people who believe in soul sleep. There's, there's people who believe that hell is not eternal and, and, and uh, there's annihilation of the soul and, and uh, what's this transition from this life to the other life. I want to tell you, I don't want to find out what that other side is. And God help us not to give people any indication that there's not an eternal element to being away from the Lord. We should never voice that to anybody because, well, I'm just going to be burned up and that's it. Some people, that's all they would need to say, okay, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. But Jonathan Edwards believed it. He believed it. And there's all kind of people on different levels that believe different things about that. But here's the thing that we got to believe. We got to trust the Lord for our salvation. We got to trust Jesus. We got to call upon him. We've got to get serious, more serious about our lives than we've ever been. As Larry Thompson said and wrote, we are all one heartbeat away. As believers, we are all one heartbeat away from a fixed state of rewards. That when we leave, we can't add anything to the kingdom of God. So while it is today, let's add to the kingdom. Let's add effort. Let's add prayer. Let's add worship. We've had a wonderful worship time. I hope you carry that worship out today, out these doors into your lunchtime, that you just are enthralled by the mercies of God, that God decided to visit us this morning, and he moved in such a great way. Let's not just let this be this moment. Let it define the rest of our day. If our praise team can come up. Heaven awaits us. And in all of this, it popped up on my phone 10 years ago today, a reminder that my mother stepped across. For seven, eight days, we didn't, she didn't respond unresponsive. We couldn't believe that someone could go that long without water when she is probably already under 100 pounds. 
from battling Alzheimer's for about 20 years. And we sat there, and I told my sisters, I am not sitting in this room all night. I'm going home. And I don't know, they probably looked at me like, well, you're supposed to. I said, no, I'm not. I, they didn't say that, but I want to say, I'm not supposed to. She's ready, and I'm not going to sit. It's too morbid for me to sit here and watch her breathe. And on that day, 10 years ago, I was there, and at 4 o'clock, I was saying to myself, at 4.30, I'm leaving. I'm, I just had watched her take breaths. You know, that's me. I walked over and whispered in her ear, Mother, I'm going to leave in a few minutes. If you leave while I'm gone, I'll see you. I'll see you there. Walked over and sat down and 15 minutes before the time I'd set on my watch, I'm leaving at 4.30. About 4.10, 4.15, she took her last breath and all six of her kids were there. That woman fought for her kids for eternity. She wanted us to be successful. She wanted us to have good families and good jobs, but that was way down the list. High on top of the list. You need to know Jesus. Would you stand with me? As Brad shared and as Alvin shared through the Spirit, just, oh God, help us. Help us. Push us past our hesitations. Push us past, Lord, personalities that we're not that kind of outspoken person, but if we saw someone's house on fire, we would try to help them. We would run to an emergency next door. Lord, why aren't we running to the emergencies that's all around us? Eternal emergencies. Could we not only surrender our lives, but I, I, I just feel like that we need to surrender our personality to Him. That I'm not the rah-rah person, but Lord, I can be a witness. And I surrender that to You. And I surrender my inhibitions, my fears. I don't want to be rejected when someone maybe reacts. Would You just come and lay that hesitation at His feet and say, Lord, now and forever, I'm yours. Now and forever, I'm going to be your voice. Now and forever, I'm going to be your light. I'm going to shine in my family. I'm going to shine as best I can. You have to use me and show me how to do that. And honestly, bring that to him. It might not be your nature, but I want you to bring yourself to him and lay yourself at, your, at his feet. Here's my life, Lord. 
Help me be a rescuer. Help me be a first responder to people's eternity. 